Dan O'Donnell here. It's this week's edition of The Difference, your weekly look at the intersection of politics and economics. I'm joined by Dave Spano, president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. And Dave, at no time in politics is it more intertwined with economics than during disputes over the budget. Over the weekend, Congress averted a government shutdown by agreeing on a measure that would essentially kick the can down the road and not particularly far, just 45 days. But the government doesn't shut down. Everybody gets paid. Crisis averted, at least for now. This didn't come without its drama, though, as New York Democrat Jamal Bowman, in what was totally not an attempt to delay the vote, as all Democrats were switching their votes in an attempt to delay the vote, pulled a fire alarm at the Cannon office building. He said he thought pulling the fire alarm would open up a door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought, I have always thought, you know, members of Congress aren't always the best and brightest in America. I always gave them the benefit of the doubt that they knew how doors worked. Should that opinion change, Dave? <laughs> well, did you, you saw the video, right? I mean, he yes. he just yanked on it. He just yanked yes. on it. So. He didn't, okay, so if he was really looking to get out the door, and he claims, well, it was there was a sign on the door that said, push on this, an alarm will sound, and the door will open in 30 seconds. You would assume he would have done that first, right? Push on the thing that's the sign is resting on that you push to open a door you know like most people who use doors would do he doesn't do that he goes right to the fire alarm that's on the adjacent wall and pulls that before going out the door without any issue yeah like now give me a break yeah springsteen said use use the window all right so they did avert a shutdown okay and they kicked the as you said they kicked the can down the road but now you know you got 200 democrats vote along with him. Now we're going to see if Matt Gates, what his move is to try to get him to get McCarthy out from underneath the speakership. And we're going to have to watch that because in, in six weeks from now, we're going to have to see if they get that spending levels increase. And, you know, they want to talk about $16 billion of disaster aid, of excluding uh, border funding for Ukraine. But 200 Democrats is a big deal. So we're going to have to watch that and what happens in 45 days from now. But that was a major U-turn for McCarthy, and we'll see how if that comes back to bite him. Do you think it will? Well, it's certainly Gates is going to come out and, and try to do that. I, you know, We'll find out if the Democrats are going to stand behind him. That's really going to be the key because the Democrats got him to this point. But do they let him twirl in the wind right now when it comes to another vote? If the Democrats stand behind him, he'll keep his speakership if they vote with him. So they, I think it's going to be really interesting what happens here. But you know, I think Gates is, represents a smaller majority. Uh, I think it was 90 people voted against the resolution. But we'll have to see what happens because this will be happening right in the middle of earnings season when there's going to be some positive news. So we'll watch that. And, of course, politics and economics crossing currents again. Yeah, certainly. And just for what it's worth, I don't think this Gates challenge is going to go anywhere. On Monday's edition of my radio show, I talked with uh, Derek Van Orden, who Mm -hmm. was just very, very critical and I think speaks for a lot of the rank and file in the Republican caucus when he said, look, is Matt Gates?" a representative of Florida, or is he auditioning to be a talk radio host? No. I took slight offense at that. No, no. I didn't, actually. No. But, but the, point, the point is, does he want to be a cable news host? Does he want to just draw attention to himself? And I think the problem with Gates, obviously he's going to take the slings and arrows from liberal talking heads and liberal members, 
But the big criticism, and I think it is very, very, very valid from other conservatives and Republicans, is that it's just so patently obvious that all of this is designed to help one person, and that's Matt Gates. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a. Well, how many times? How many times did we just say his name? You know that's exactly, the, and that's what's well, happening. And it's, I don't think it's a coincidence. DeSantis gets term limited in 2026, right. which means he he can only serve two terms. He's in his second term. He has to leave office. Gates has let it slip that he is almost certainly going to run for Florida governor. If he wins, what's the next step? What do you think Matt Gates would want to do? immediately after winning the governorship of Florida, rather obviously run for president. Mm -hmm. So this is a way to get his Q score up amongst conservatives. Oh, I'm fighting the good fight against those rhinos. When in fact, McCarthy was actually able to negotiate significant concessions from the Democrats that were essentially blown up by Gates and his kamikaze attack. This is the thing that I don't get. It's You know, when you have and this is a thing, I think that politics and when you talk about the serious business of government always runs up against. It's not even just ego. It is the idea of self-advancement, of using these negotiations not to advance conservatism or liberalism or whatever the party's position happens to be, but to advance an individual member who gets to go on the Sean Hannity show all the time. And you noticed Gates was all over the Sunday talk shows. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think all of this is designed to benefit Matt Gates to keep him in the headlines so he has a whole lot of momentum going into 2026. And then ultimately, what I think he wants to do is run for president in 2028. I mean, it's cynical as all hell, but this is politics in 2023. So, you know, you look at how the market reacted to this, and of course, they, it was down. It was down four days in a row. And I think what investors are starting to see is that Congress can't meet a basic minimum of governing and by keeping the government open. And so, you know, you look at the servicing costs of the debt, you know, highest in 35 years, of course, and then you look at the other pressures that are out there. So if there would be a government shutdown in 45 days, what happens with these other external events? Auto shutdowns, you know, the UAW strike, declining consumer aid, rising gas prices as, as oil gets to $100 a barrel. All of this together, Dan, eats away at sentiment. And, of course, sentiment is so important because that allows the GDP numbers to stay afloat. So two-thirds of GDP comes from consumer spending. If their sentiment changes, that means they may not go out and spend. That is could have a slowing as we get into 2024. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Earnings are looking much better. And by comparison, year over year, they're going to get better in the first quarter and second quarter as well. So there is these cross currents that are existing as we speak. When you talk about those cross currents, there is the expectation, I think, that October is going to be an unusually volatile month. And October is typically one of the more volatile months of the trading year. Am I right? Well, you know, people remember, you know, back when I first started in the business back in the late 80s, 1987, October of 87, and people keep hanging their hats on that. But Dan, the fourth quarter, you know, which begins in October, of course, as those earnings get better and the first quarter are better quarters. Everyone knows of the saying, sell in May and go away. But the rest of that saying is you've got to come back into the market. And what they're really talking about is Q4 and Q1. So there might be some volatility, but we're not in it for two weeks or three weeks. We're in it for the long haul. Now is the time to position it. 
to see how you're going to look as we get into the rest of the year. And now is a time for a lot of people to take a look at their portfolio with respect to taxes. Nobody wants to think about that, and sometimes taxes can be complex. That's why you offer the Tax Smart Strategy Review at AnnexWealth.com. It's a great way to make sure that you are ready when those 87,000 new IRS agents <laughs> show up. Uh, I can't remember. Did did we nix that? Did Are, are the new IRS agents still coming? Is it somewhat less than 87,000? Yeah, uh, but AnnexWealth.com. They, they, yeah, they took some some of that uh, spending away, but they're they're still coming. And they're they're obviously they're making the argument of trying to find the tax cheats. We'll we'll actually find out where that goes. But you look at, of course, tax planning is a big part of it. And the reason why people get so excited about you know Republicans and Democrats is where do you stand in your taxes? Because generally, Dan, as you know. Most people vote their pocketbooks. And yeah. so if you, you look at it and go, well, what's coming down the road for me personally, sometimes that's going to be a determinant of where they vote. We actually had what I think is a low-key significant development in the vote of 2024. One of the most influential liberals in the entire country is, whether you like it or not, and a lot of far-left liberals don't, even as they worshipped him for years and years and years, is Bill Maher. Mm -hmm. He hosts the show Real Time on HBO, and his words carry a lot of weight. He has spent a lot of time warning about the rise of wokeism and how it's taken over the Democratic Party. During his monologue on Friday night, he referred to Joe Biden as Ruth Bader Biden and said that Biden shouldn't run or else his legacy would be the guy that gave us four more years of Trump. And the reference to Ruth Bader Biden is, of course, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who rebuffed all sorts of calls to retire while Barack Obama was president and would be able to name her successor. And we got all of these stories about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's workout regimen and how healthy we, she was. Well, it turns out she was battling, what, pancreatic cancer, mm -hmm. yep. which is about the deadliest cancer you can develop. And she died just before the 2020 presidential election. As a result, Donald Trump got a third Supreme Court justice nominee through the United States Senate. And instead of a 5-4 majority, conservatives now have a 6-3 majority. The legacy, what Maher is saying, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg ultimately is that because she didn't know when to quit – Donald Trump theoretically took over the Supreme Court for conservatives for a generation. If Biden does the same and doesn't get out, and I think Maher is probably in the camp that believes that Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, would be the strongest presidential candidate, then that opens the door for even Trump, who's seen, I think, in liberal circles as the candidate that the Democrats most want to run against, that Donald Trump might well be unbeatable because of just how poorly the American people perceive Joe Biden because of his age, because of his rather obvious cognitive decline, and the thing that Democrats don't want to talk about, the obvious corruption involving his son and brother with an international bribery ring that every time there's new evidence released, the entire media seems to go silent. And that tells me, Dave, 
everything I think I need to know. <laughs> so, well, well, we'll find out, right? I mean, it really is going to be interesting. Remember, I think I said it to you a couple of months ago, do you really think it's going to be Biden versus Trump? And I said, I was in the camp that it's not going to be that lineup. So Biden people are going to tell you that they can beat Trump like they did last time. So that, that'll be interesting. But here's the, here's the big thing to bring it back to economics. There could be a slowdown in 2024. And if that happens right before the election, that's generally not good for the incumbent party as oil prices at $100 a barrel. We're starting to hurt people's pocketbooks. That could be happening at the wrong time for the incumbent party. Well, and you're also seeing the potential of Robert Kennedy Jr. launching a third-party bid instead of trying to get the Democratic Party's nomination. Now, a lot of people, I think, are misinterpreting RFK Jr. Who is he appealing more to right now, Democrats or Republicans? He runs third party. I think that actually hurts Donald Trump or whoever the Republican nominee is more. What I think the Democrats are really more concerned about is is the rise of the what's known as No Labels Party. Mm -hmm. They're pushing hard for Joe Manchin, the West Virginia moderate Democrat, to run as a, a centrist candidate, and they're worried that that might peel some votes away. Frankly, I'm less concerned uh, about a third-party run. If I were Ross, a Democrat, Ross I wouldn't Perot. be concerned. Two, two words, Well, Ross yeah, Perot. but but for Republicans, that's a real concern. The yep. Libertarian Party always siphons votes from the Republicans. Yep. It is very rare, and you did see it in 2016 with an unusually strong Green Party run here in Wisconsin from Jill Stein, which, if Hillary Clinton's being honest, that's what cost her Wisconsin, not Russian hacking or any nonsense like that. Democrats are very, very good at voting for who they're told, right? The old What's the old saying? Republicans fall in love with their candidates. Democrats fall in line. I don't think that's going to be nearly the threat to Biden as people think it's going to be. And in fact, I think rather paradoxically, that might hurt Republicans if the nominee is Trump because he's so polarizing. He might push people who just don't like Trump to vote for a third party candidate. Yep. Well, we're going to have to watch this very closely and just wrap it up as we're getting to the end of our time that these financial journeys that people are going through using a fiduciary to get you through these journeys with comprehensive strategies as the tax smart that you're talking about and empowering education. That's the things that you and I do together. That is the know the difference. And that's what we want people to take away from this and look forward to next week when we get to dig into this again. He is Dave Spano, reminding you to head to AnnexWealth.com. I'm Dan O'Donnell. Thanks so much for listening to The Difference. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.